Gracious God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to come before you and just to gather around the Word of God. I mean, the fact is that you are the one who speaks to us. And when you speak, you give life. And Lord, some of us are on a varying spectrum of, of the abundant life that you came to give. And some of us are coming from weeks where uh, we've kind of been thrown into the ringer, so to speak. Others of us have, have really been experiencing, in evident ways, just marked blessings. And so we thank you for that. But wherever we are, we know that you are still God. You are God, our rock. And no matter whatever shifting sands we may be standing on, we, we can trust you. You are faithful, even if we are faithless, because you cannot deny yourself. And so, God, we're coming before you today, and we are in need of your word. Would you please speak to us? As we open up these sacred pages, Lord, cause us to hear not just ideas from this preacher, but cause us to hear the voice of your spirit speaking exactly what we need to hear today. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Amen. Today we're starting a series called Advent Hope. Advent Hope. How is your... We read a story about two doctors, a doctor couple, Patricia and David Mrazek. They are pediatric specialists at the National Jewish Center for Immunology and Respiratory Medicine. And in their particular roles, as they're, especially as they're working with kids who are not well, kids whose life is on the verge, they see a lot of heartache, they see a lot of suffering. And, you know, over the years of their practice, they were struck by the reality that some kids, they, you know, no matter how severe the trauma, they just bounce right back. You know, they're able to rebuild lives of, of not just survival, but thriving, right? And they, they, they're struck by this, but they also see the other side of the spectrum where they see some kids, they're just crushed by trauma. There's no, there's no recovery, so to speak. And over the years of their practice, they decided, you know what, what is it that causes some to, to come back victorious and others to just be defeated by, by these circumstances? I don't know, maybe you've kind of wondered the same. And they did some extensive surveys of their patients to discover one overriding trait that really allowed them to, to come out of the ashes of trauma. And that trait was hope. Do you know the value of hope today? Hope gives life. When you have this expectation, not just a desire, but an expectation that things are going to turn a corner, that things are going to get better, that your best is yet to come, that light is at the end of the tunnel, that gives us life. And so this day and the next few weeks as we're talking about the Advent hope, we're not just talking about the hope of a, you know, a sunny day, or if you're a, a true Coloradan, a hope of, a, of snow to come soon. <laughs> um, we're, we're talking about hope of God's arrival, the Advent hope. That's what the word Advent means, by the way. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that. It's, it's a term that's right tucked away in the name of this church, Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Advent 
is a word or it's a term that has Latin roots, adventus in Latin. It means simply arrival or appearance. The root of that word is venire. That means to come, to appear. And so the Advent hope is our expectation that Jesus is coming. It's our expectation that Jesus will arrive, that he will appear. Now, the first Advent, you know, the, the season that we're in right now where we're reflecting upon the birth of Jesus, the first Advent is a warm, fuzzy bedtime story, please. The first Advent is a revelation of Jesus as the coming one. We're kind of giving him that title. He is the coming one. In other words, there is a God who is faithful. Jesus, when he, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us, he revealed to us that there is a God who is faithful. There is a God who keeps his promise. And if he fulfilled his promise to come faithfully in the flesh the first time, he will surely come again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. That's what we're talking about. So Advent hope, it spans both the first coming and the second coming. The coming one, Jesus, is the God that we can place all of our hope in. And so this is what we're going to be studying over the next three weeks, Advent hope. But today we're going to kind of take a step back because we want to look at this question. Where does Advent hope even begin? What are its beginnings or what is its genesis? And guess where we're going to go just to discover the answer? We're going to go to Genesis, all right? So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to the very first book, the Genesis. Not just of life, but of hope itself, all right? Genesis, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Now, I will just kind of share at the very onset here, uh, the study that we're going to go through today is a little bit different than what we normally do, where we just kind of sit on one passage and kind of sink our teeth into it. We're going to look at a couple of different spots throughout the book of Genesis because we're looking at the Genesis of hope. All right, Genesis chapter 2. When you found it, go ahead and say, I'm there. I'm there. All right, Genesis chapter 2. In verse 4, verse 4, the Bible says this. This is the history of of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, if you're familiar with chapter one, chapter one is the poetic description of how God forms and then fills, right? He forms and he, he creates the spaces for light and seas and earth, and then he fills all those spaces, right? He, he fills in with the stars, the, the sun, moon, and stars. Then he, he fills in the seas and the sky with, with the, the, the sea creatures and the birds of the air, and then he fills the earth with land animals, and then finally the crowning act of humanity itself, right? Genesis chapter 1 tells that story in such poetic sweeps. And then chapter 2 kind of caps it off with the creation of the seventh day, the seventh day Sabbath. Now, verse 4, what we just read, it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Now, what's really interesting is that the Hebrew word for history, at least the, the word that's translated in the New King James as history, it's the word toledoth. Can you guys say that or at least try to? Toledoth. Yeah? Toledoth, it's actually a Hebrew term for generations. In other places throughout the Old Testament scriptures, that's translated as generations 
genealogy. Maybe you've heard that word before. So toledot, this Hebrew term, it's, it's more than just a listing of names. In here, you know, in chapter 2, verse 4, it's actually a story. The telling of the, the generations is really the telling of a history. It's a telling of a story. And in this case, it's a story that starts with hope. It's a story of anticipation, and it's a story of hope. You see here in chapter 2, what we're finding, uh, if you just kind of let your eyes scan the rest of chapter 2, it's the story of God creating humanity. In chapter 2, it's, it's a retelling of the creation of Adam and then Eve. And really what, what we're kind of allowing ourselves to experience as we read through chapter 2 is we're seeing that God is creating Adam and Eve with this hope of relationship. In fact, the way that it slows down the creation of Adam and then separates that with just a little bit of passing of time where, where Adam senses his need for Eve, uh, you kind of get this idea like, wow, humanity was created with this need for relationship, but you know what? It's, it tells us of a God who longs for relationship with humanity. When, when he says, where is it? In, in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. He really knows that, you know what, I'm creating man not to be alone in solitary confinement here in the Garden of Eden. No, I'm creating man for a relationship with each other, but I'm creating man with, for, for relationship with me. So this story, this Toledoth, this history of the, the heavens and the earth is a story of a God who hopes for relationship with humanity. It's a story of a God who wants, who's in pursuit of trusting relationship with humanity. But sadly, as we turn the chapter to the next, to chapter 3, we see how that history kind of sours. Right? We see how that history or that story of God pursuing relationship with humanity ends in, or at least it ends up in distrust, rebellion, and sin. Right, Genesis chapter 3, go ahead, let your eyes sit there for a little bit. The, the subheading in my Bible, it says the temptation and fall of man. And every time we read this story, at least for me, it's like a heartache. Like I know what's going to come, but I just wish, I just wish that the humanity would have a, just, just sat and leaned into a trusting relationship with God rather than going the way of rebellion. But praise the Lord, even after Adam and Eve take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even after that, God doesn't leave that to be the end of the story. Amen? That God actually comes into the garden. You go ahead and go into chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Right? He's seeking after humanity. He's still in pursuit of a relationship of oneness, even though humanity decided to break that trust. And eventually, as God is, is speaking with Adam, and then with Eve, and then eventually he, he addresses the serpent that started all of this. In verse 15, God responds in this way. He says, this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity, that's the feeling of hostility between enemies. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, with a capital S. He shall bruise your head, 
and you shall do what? Bruise his heel. This right here, what we just read, is the first gospel promise. It's the first promise of the coming one, that there is going to be one who comes and creates a hostility between sin and humanity. This incredible prophecy, it establishes, or it's a prediction that God would establish a lineage that would actually resist Satan's lineage. Simultaneously, this, this little verse, it, it foreshadows the consequences of sin, that there would just be this constant battle with sin. It reveals the, con the consequences of sin as well as the consolation that salvation is coming. In other words, that God gave Adam and Eve hope. And in the immediate disappointment of humanity's fall, God planted seeds of hope. He planted seeds of hope that there would be a way of restoring oneness with the maker of all things. How is he going to do that? Well, according to verse 15, there will be the arrival of a seed, someone through humanity's lineage, who would crush the very enemy who started it all. And what is his name? His name would be Jesus. Yeah. Right here, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is the first Christmas story. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And in fact, it's more than that. It's, it's the first story of Calvary. How would he crush Satan's head? By being crushed himself. I think it's Hebrews chapter 2. It tells us that through death, Jesus overcame death. That's, that's powerful. That by his stripes, we would be healed. That the one who was crushed would give us the gift of life. Man. Now, this is the first Advent hope, but it wasn't fulfilled immediately. Actually, it seems like this, this, uh, this prophecy, this anticipation was thwarted. If you keep reading the story of Genesis chapter 4, you find this story of Cain and Abel. And how Cain and, uh, really just kind of overcame uh, Abel and, and kind of put to death any hope of actually trusting in God. This rebellious lineage of Cain continues. In fact, in, in verse 16 and onward, you start seeing, wow, this rebellion is it's perpetuated. In fact, 16 through 24, you find story after story of, of violence. And man initiated rebellion. But praise the Lord, at the end of chapter 4, take your eyes now to chapter 4, verse 26. The Bible says, And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then notice this last phrase. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so here, just kind of get this idea, the history the, the Toledoth, the story of the generations, is that God, he had hope for trusting relationship. That hope was dashed, but then God gave a promise out of that. And so God raised up a new generation, a new Toledoth, so to speak, that was at enmity with Satan and started to seek the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord. And the very next verse, Genesis chapter 5, in verse 1, it says this, this is the book of the what? Of the genealogy of Adam. 
That word genealogy, it's, it's toledoth, once again. It's the toledoth, not of the heavens and the earth. It's the toledoth of Adam. So it's a new book. It's a new history. It's a new story. Okay? And this story of generations of Adam, it's kind of reminiscent of the first story. It's, it's reminiscent of the first toledoth, so to speak. In what way? It's about God's hope. Hope of establishing a trusting relationship with humanity. His hope of reigniting oneness with a lineage that would actually call upon him, seek after him, and put their trust in him. Well, how well did that genealogy pan out? Just a chapter later, in chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, this Toledoth, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, man. Verse 6, it pains my heart to even read it. And the Lord was sorry. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. This Toledoth, this genealogy, it ends up in a similar trajectory of rebellion, distrust, and wickedness. But praise the Lord that God still responds. Okay, that he doesn't let that be the end of the story. How does God respond to, to this, you know, despair, this picture of humanity? Well, yes, to be sure, he responds with a global flood. He, he puts an end to that great wickedness through the flood. But more than that, at the end of the flood, he renews a covenant he gives humanity another promise. In chapter 9, you see Noah and his family, they're coming out. They're coming out of the flood. I'm sorry, they're coming out of the ark after the flood waters have dispersed. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 8, starting in verse 8, the Bible says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And you keep reading, and you find in verse 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. In other words, what does God do? How does he respond to the, the end of that Toledoth? He responds with another promise. Right? He responds with another covenant. Hey, it's not just a covenant of salvation. It's also a covenant of preservation, of protection. And I don't know if you're kind of noticing this, but there's, so far in these two Toledoths, these two genealogies that we've seen, there's a pattern. There's a little pattern that we've seen here. And let's just kind of mark it out. If you're in the habit of taking notes, you can write this down. The book of the, geneal the, book of the genealogy starts with God's hope, Okay. Hope of trusting relationship with humanity. God's desire to have, have a lineage, a seed that is hostile to Satan's lineage and seed. All right? So this is the first chapter, so to speak, of the book of the genealogy. It always starts with God's hope, or at least so far we've seen that it starts with God's hope. But then it ends, or I'm sorry, it ends up with humanity's rebellion. God's hope leads, you know, to, to give us a platform of choice, 
But then humanity rebels. Humanity turns to distrust, refuses to embrace that relationship of covenant with God. And it seems to end in failure, but thankfully that's not the end of the book, right? It all, it, it all turns into God's response. So it starts with God's hope, leads to humanity's rebellion, but then God responds redemptively. God responds with a covenant promise. God holds out the possibility of coming back into relationship with him. It's a lifeline of sorts through a covenant promise. I praise God that he can redeem our rebellion and our failures. Amen. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 10, the very next chapter, Starts off verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of who? The sons of Noah. All right. Clean slate here, right? All right. God's got a fresh start. Noah and his sons and their wives, they, they've seen what sin does. They know the trajectory of things. How would all of this pan out? This new Toledoth, this new book. It's another, it's another genealogy. And we wonder, man, is this pattern going to apply? It's another story of God's renewed attempt to pursue a trusting relationship with humanity. The hope of a trusting lineage that's at enmity with Satan that's going to now call on the name of the Lord. That's how it starts. But where does it go? Just a chapter later, in Genesis chapter 11, what story do we read about? The Tower of Babel. Man, that is like the climax of organized sin right there, right? It's the, the climax of self-exaltation, of a refusal to trust God and his promises to do things for self, by self, to make a name for ourselves. Man. So it goes from God's hope to humanity's rebellion. But would there be a response from God? Yeah, yeah, he responds by confusing their languages of putting an end to that, that project of organized sin. But he also responds by extending relationship once again. And this time through one man and his family. And that was Abraham. Right? Genesis chapter 12 is where that Toledoth ends up. God is going to start it again. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3 now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. More promises. Another covenant. I will bless you. Make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God responds by giving more promises. God responds by saying, hey, look, I'm going to bless you. And through you, somehow all the earth's families will be blessed. That's the Advent hope if you're reading between the lines. That's a promise that Jesus is going to come and will be a blessing to all families. Okay, okay, okay. So what does all this genealogy talk have to do with the Advent hope. What does this have to do with the, the story of Christ's birth and the anticipation of his coming? Go with me now to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. And don't, don't read ahead. Don't read ahead yet, okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 1. 
We've, we're going from the first book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. Hopefully I didn't lose you with all the genealogy talk. It's all going somewhere, I promise, okay? Matthew chapter 1, because we're going to another genealogy. Hey, hey, hey. All right. When you're there, go ahead and say, I'm there. Okay? Matthew chapter 1, and the opening lines of the first book of the New Testament, it says, the book of the genealogy of who? Of Jesus Christ. Matthew, in his opening lines, is going to use a familiar literary construction lifted direct from the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about this last time. Uh, Matthew's gospel was written specifically for a Jewish audience, people who are completely familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, steeped in the Old Testament expectation of the arrival of the promised one, the the Messiah. And in his opening lines, Matthew, the tax collector, who knows his Jewish roots somehow, is familiar with this anticipation, and he uses that very phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When you look at those Old Testament verses that we read in Genesis in the Septuagint, the Greek translation is the very same construction. And Matthew here is presenting another Toledoth. He is presenting a new genealogy. Why? Because he's giving us a new Genesis. I thought it was just John who did it, right? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, right? And that, that's straight out of Genesis. But here, Matthew is doing it very artfully. Yeah, he's giving us a new Genesis. And by picking up another genealogy, Matthew is making two very significant theological assertions that are accompanied by two heart applications. And I just kind of want to walk through that today. Assertion number one that Matthew is telling us is that the previous genealogy has failed too. Why would there be a need for another genealogy if the other one was successful? Wait, 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 that's the genealogy of Abraham, right? That's the the, the Toledoth of, of the faith of our fathers. Look. The story of Israel and all its wanderings from the wilderness to the promised land is a story of a people who are stiff-necked and faithless. It's a story of a people who are prone to idolatry even though they had the glory of the Lord right there. It's a story of a people who rebelled against the Lord even though he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty right hand. And we might think, oh man, what were they thinking? You know? But that's our story too, isn't it? Right? We have evidence of God in, in our lives. We see who he is. We've seen what he's up to. And we still, we still are, are prone to wander. Right? What does Isaiah 53 say? That all we like sheep have gone astray. And each of us have turned to his own way. And so that's the the assertion that Matthew is saying, wait, wait, there's a need for a new genealogy. Why? Because the previous genealogy has failed too. And so the heart application, as we see that, as we kind of take that in, we need to ask ourselves, oh, did I? Oh, there it is. Yeah, application. The genealogy of Jesus. This is what we need to hear. The genealogy of Jesus 
is our only hope. It's our only hope. Why? Why is it that, you know, why is it that, that no other genealogy will do? Well, because every other genealogy ends in failure. Every other history and story and generation ends in rebellion and sin. Why is, why is it that geneal the genealogy of Jesus is our only hope? It's not because his genealogy is perfect, by the way. If you, if you just kind of let your eyes read through, you see some names that are a little bit on the, the questionable side, right? You've got, you, you've got a, a prostitute. Uh, you've got someone who, well, let's not, we don't need to go into the details here, but you get the idea. There are, there are individuals here whose track record is spotty at best. It's not because the genealogy is perfect, but it's the genealogy that leads us to the one who is perfect. Right? It's the genealogy of Jesus. And at the end of this, all of this, go, go down to chapter 1, verse 21. The promise is given, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It's Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. And that's why this explanation is given. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's the name of salvation. It's the name of redemption. In other words, he's the one who crushed the head of Satan on Calvary and can daily break the power of Satan in our lives today. No other genealogy will do. No other pedigree or family, no other track record or resume or report card, no portfolio or professional network, no other connection will give us salvation and significance but your connection to Jesus alone. The genealogy of Jesus is our only hope. That's why I love Psalm 39, verse 7. I was just reading through some of the Psalms earlier this week in my devotional time, and I came across this in Psalm 39. You found yourself waiting for someone else. To, to lift you out of whatever situation or crisis or emergency or, or, or just habit and things that you need to walk away from. Friends, it's not going to be found in anyone else but Jesus. No one else but Jesus. And so, theological assertion number one, the previous genealogy has failed. And our application from that is only the genealogy of Jesus will do. He is our only hope. How about the second one Matthew is trying to kind of get across to us? The second assertion is that God is on the move again. Okay. God is at it again. Well, at what? He's, he's at trying to, to restore a relationship of trust with us. That's what Matthew is trying to tell us. In Jesus, God is renewing a covenant relationship with humanity. In Jesus, God himself is reconciling the world to himself in spite of our persistent rebellion, in spite of our incorrigible refusal to trust in him. Man, and if we think we're stubborn, 
I tell you what, God is more stubborn. <laughs> He's not going to give up on us. And that's the application. That's the application. God has not given up on us. Praise Him. Praise Him. Though at times, let's be real, though at times He does give us over to our choice to sin. Like in the case of the flood, He does give us over to those things. He still does not give up on you and me. We, we may find that hard to believe, but it's true. It is true. How do I know that? In verse 23, this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the other name that is ascribed to the one who became flesh. Verse 23, the Bible says, And behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Friends, when I hear that, God with us, I don't see any contingencies there. I don't see any conditions there. God might be with us. No. God with us, period. Amen. Not sometimes. Not only if we do, or only if we don't, God with us, period. Oh, but my, my past, you just, you just have no idea. I tell you what, uh, Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8, O Israel, hope in the Lord. God, man, uh, you know, just, just, just let your eyes sit on this. And instead of Israel, go ahead and put your name there. Can you try that just for a moment? Oh, Godfrey, <laughs> hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Godfrey from all his iniquities. Amen. That's for you today. Did you know it? You're feeling like, wait, 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 wait. Ah, God isn't with me when I'm... No, 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 no. Hope in the Lord. God has not given up on you. You may have given up on yourself. He hasn't given up on you. Oh, okay, so maybe he's got my past covered. <laughs> but all the troubles that I'm, that I'm experiencing in the present, all the, the crises, all the difficulties, all the adversity and trials that I feel like I just can't shake... Man, it feels like God is not with me in those moments. But I tell you what, He is. He is. Over the breakfast table, we started reading, we, we got this recommendation, a certain chapter in a book called The Ministry of Healing. I don't know if you've ever picked that up before. In the past, I thought, well, that's just for physicians and nurses. <laughs> I don't need the, the ministry. No, 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 it's the story of Jesus. It's really powerful. We started reading this chapter called Mind Cure in it. And a couple of paragraphs here, I just want to share it with you. Because if you're feeling like your troubles are evidence that God is not near, I want you to hear this otherwise. It says, none need abandon themselves to discouragement and despair. Satan may come to you with the cruel suggestion, yours is a hopeless case. You are irredeemable. I don't know how many times, I mean, you don't need to raise your hand, but maybe you resonate with that mental script. 
That is a lie from Satan. He may come to you and tell you that you are hopeless. I tell you what, if you've heard that, that is from the enemy. But there is hope for you in Christ. God does not bid us overcome strength. He asks us to come close to his side. Whatever difficulties we labor under, which weigh down soul and body, he waits to make us free. Amen. <laughs> you feel like your troubles are evidence that God is not with you. But I tell you what, he has not left you. He is waiting to set you free. Just come close to his side. He says, hey, hey, the enemy is doing a number and coming to your ears. He's doing a number to come to my ears and say, I'm a hopeless case. I'm irredeemable. Friends, when we feel like giving up, God just says, look up. Yeah. yeah. When we feel like giving up, let's look up. He is still Emmanuel. God with us. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen. <laughs> And so, simple conclusion, the Advent hope is this. The one who came once and is now coming again invites us into a relationship of trust and covenant love with him. Whatever the past or perplexity today, the one who came is coming to you right now. Jesus is inviting you into his Toledoth. Jesus is inviting you into his lineage for two things. To look to him as the only one who can save from sin and to trust the one who is God with us. Trust him that he has not and will not give up on us. How many of you today want to say yes to Jesus, our Emmanuel? Yeah? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song together. In just a moment, but let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you are the God who gives us hope. And this hope is a living hope. God, we want to stand in faith today. Maybe our spiritual knees are trembling. Maybe our spiritual hands feel weak. Maybe our shoulders have been so burdened. But Lord, today we want to surrender our past and even surrender our present. Whatever our sin or whatever our adversity, God, we pray that you would be Yeshua, the one who saves us from sin, and Emmanuel, the God who is with us, even in our trials. Thank you so much, God, that we are not hopeless, that we are not irredeemable, that you are the God who came to seek and to save the lost. We trust you today. You are our living hope. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen and amen.